Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. In the last couple of episodes, we've looked at Jesus' baptism and temptation. Now, we will start to look at the very beginnings of Jesus' public ministry. And I'll read from Luke's Gospel again, starting with chapter 4, verses 14 to 22. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. This event we've read about takes place on the eve of Jesus calling his first actual followers. And as Jesus prepares for that time, we see that he's drawing a real line in the sand before anyone decides to jump on board. Perhaps that's a good way for us to look at this passage too. Nazareth was a well-protected and out-of-the-way place. It was here that Joseph chose to find refuge once he knew he could return with the infant Jesus after the death of Herod the Great. It had been here that Jesus spent his silent years, most likely working hard in the family business and supporting his mother since it is widely believed Joseph passed away during that time. Jesus was a local personality, well regarded as a good kid and a faithful son. But something changed when he headed on a trip south in his early 30s. News was filtering in about some of the things Jesus was doing and saying. He'd been baptized and the Nazarenes would have scratched their heads about why that would need to be the case. He'd been publicly endorsed by John the Baptist, and he'd had special attention and audiences with members of the religious elite. He was now being hailed as an excellent communicator, and rumors were even coming in about miracles as well. So with all that preceding him, Jesus makes his return to his hometown. And like he always used to do, he makes his weekly trip to the Sabbath synagogue meeting. We read that he puts his hand up for the service reading, and the custom was that the reader would also present a short sermon. Now you have to know this is about to get really interesting. The passage that Jesus reads is in our Bibles as well, and shows up as Isaiah chapter 61. It's a verse that speaks of the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord rests, like what had just happened with Jesus. And he will cause the brokenhearted to find joy. He'll cause the blind to see and cause the imprisoned to be released. It's an amazing passage to select for reading because of the expectation it filled. And upon reading this passage, we see that the crowd is right there with him. Eyes are wide open. They're leaning forward. They're ready to hear, but perhaps not necessarily ready to listen. 
The gathering is now expecting him to speak into this verse like a little devotional piece, if you will. Maybe there's a little bit of anticipation, a bit of musing about what the verse might mean and what the prophet had in mind at the time. Maybe a bit of fresh thought from an emerging teacher with perhaps another fresh take on what he thought the Messiah would be like. That's what the other rabbis seemed to be doing at the time. But instead of musing, Jesus is able to present a fact. He is the fulfillment of this verse. This is a major moment taking place in little old Nazareth. And the response, interested at the style, but indifferent to the substance. Isn't this the kid who grew up here? He's just the son of a tradesman from a town in the middle of nowhere. There's no fulfillment of scripture here. Service is over, everyone. Let's grab a coffee. But Jesus knew otherwise. Just the carpenter's son? Not by any means. At the River Jordan, the Lord had made that clear with a voice from heaven. And at temptation, it was the devil himself who acknowledged the lineage of Christ. This was the Son of God. This was the source of salvation for their nation and for the world. So let's consider this a little deeper for ourselves at this time. Jesus was on the eve of gathering disciples, but not before a time of putting a line in the sand. We've read so far in the Gospels that Jesus began his public life by first identifying with man, despite its sinful ways. He did this by submitting to a human baptism of repentance and separation, and by enduring human temptation and beating it the prescribed human way. He then begins to identify himself so that man could correctly identify with him. This begins by knowing who he really is and how our response should be as followers. The people of Nazareth got it wrong. They were clearly impressed, but their familiarity blocked their faith. They thought they knew the boy Jesus and couldn't go any further with him. We can do the same thing. We can easily be impressed by what we hear about Jesus and marvel at the great things he could do. But we can get too familiar with the Sunday school stories and not the revolutionary God-placed saviour that Jesus actually is. Jesus would draw disciples who would capture that second part, the God-placed saviour who was the agent of good news, freedom and healing, the fulfilment of scripture, the world-changing, suffering servant, Messiah and King. It would be those sort of people who would go all in with this type of rabbi, while the rest of Nazareth would miss out altogether. And we see that Jesus lets them know that as we keep on reading. Let's continue to read here in Luke chapter 4, verses 23 to 30. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath, in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Here's the gist of what Jesus was saying here. You're looking to me now for a cheap trick. 
a miracle show to appease your inquisitive eyes and hearts. But I know that you here in Nazareth, and the whole nation by extension, are going to reject me anyway. But that's okay, because the plan is greater than that. The Lord God has always had an eye on those outside the Jewish faith. For example, consider the days of Elijah and Elisha. For example, consider the days of Elijah and Elisha. Israel was going morally backwards and taking its widows and lepers down with her. Yet on the outside looking in was a Sidonese widow and a leprous Syrian general who both looked to the God of our faith for their miracles and healing. Israel already had a track record of seeing the Gentiles blessed even as a result of Israel's rejection. And Jesus says it will be no different with him. And with this statement, the crowd goes from fascination to fury. Their attentive ears are now making way for murderous action because their local familiarity could not evolve into eternal faith. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus went to that which was his own. Now some say the Jewish people and others say the people as a whole. But his own, whoever that may represent, rejected him. And yet some didn't, and they would be empowered to become children of God. Many were rejecting Jesus at this point of his ministry, but in a few short verses there would be some who would have the faith to shake off the familiar and join the revolution of love and the scandal of grace that Jesus would embark on. With that in mind, let's take a look deeper at ourselves one last time here. Jesus didn't come to earth to be a mere guru and miracle worker. He didn't come to form a people who would get complacent with him because of their familiarity. That sort of thinking is totally out of line with the nature of the Jesus we read about in the Gospels. If he is that to you, I pray you would look deeper at who Jesus is and what he calls us to be. As we engage with the Gospels, we will soon see that Jesus is on the cusp of inviting people into an intimate relationship with him, using one very simple invitation, follow me. But just what are they going to be following here? They'll be following someone that was promised from the dawn of creation. Someone who had been ordained to redeem and liberate the entire world. From the moment sin entered, the plan for Jesus was already good to go, and all of the Old Testament pointed to the events of our gospel pages. Most importantly, they would be invited to follow God in the flesh, and he will make this clear over and over throughout the gospel accounts. This is not someone to take a non-committal, familiar tone with like the Nazarenes he'd lived with for a few decades. This is someone who requires our all because he's not just an earthly carpenter, he's the rebuilder of lives. And our response calls for deliberate listening and humble worship. In Nazareth that day, they merely heard an eloquent local speak, but they refused to listen to the content of his words. Because of who Jesus is, we need to be willing to hang off everything he says, both that which is printed as well as the things he deposits into our spirits as he engages daily with us. And our response must be humility. You, Jesus, are in charge. You know better. You know the outcome and the horizon. I'll do it your way. This Jesus that we are called to follow is far greater than any theoretical box you and I can put him into. Never get to the place where you think you know it all. It's true that familiarity breeds contempt. And such an attitude towards Christ is destructive to our relationship with him. Instead, always be humble and refuse the temptation to push him away out of our lives. Let's finish this episode with a word of prayer. 
Lord Jesus, please help us to engage with you in a deeper way than the people of Nazareth back then. Help us to break free of familiarity through our past interactions and understandings of you. Please capture us again with your revolutionary ways and help us to be willing agents of your good news and ministry of freedom and healing in the world around us. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.